0: and Gambo. Afternoons on Arizona Sports.
1: 3 o'clock hour, the Burns and Gambo show Earlier today, earlier in the show, we were talking about an article written by Jake Fisher from Yahoo Sports on the and the headline of the article kind of tells you what it's about. The Sun's curious handling of Jay Crowder creates more questions than answers. There's a lot of good stuff in there. Um, a lot of stuff that we talked about early on in the show. There was one element of it that we specifically decided to hold off on and not talk about because we thought it should be almost its own separate conversation. And again, I should mention that Gamble went on, Jake Fisher podcast today. It was on it for about a half hour to talk about all things sure. sons and all things NBA. Uh, the stuff in there about Jay, we kind of talked about a little bit. I, I want to jump right to the part about Cam Johnson. Okay, And um, well, let me just read it to you. Uh, Phoenix has aimed to supplant Crowder in its starting group with Cam Johnson. This we know. They're starting Cam Johnson over Jay Crowder. During the team's trade pursuit of Kevin Durant this summer, sources said, Suns officials remained steadfast that Cam Johnson was off limits. He's extension eligible himself. An early indication suggested the Suns hope to re-sign the 26-year-old sharpshooter in the ballpark of four years and $72 million. Yeah every dollar will add more to Phoenix's already pricey luxury tax bill which surely is coloring the sun's ongoing trade talks regarding Crowder yeah of course it is
2: because as we've you know we've explained time and time again it's you know it's not just dollar for dollar the higher you go eventually it's a dollar fifty for every dollar you spend over and then it's two dollars for every th- dollar you spend over and it's 250 for every dollar you spend over and then there's the repeat luxury tax offender where if you're in it for you know for three straight years is an even bigger like fine and so you you know team are somewhat careful now. If you're the Golden State Warriors, you don't give a damn. You're trying to win championships, and that owner's got so much money, and he will just write the check. It's not a big deal. The Clippers are the same way with their new owner, they'll just write the check. So, you're seeing teams like the Clippers and Golden State far exceed not only the cap but the luxury tax and not really worry about it. I mean, if they sign a player for 10 million and it's really going to cost them 30 million, they don't think about it. If that player can help them win, that player's going to help them win. The Suns and Cam Johnson are a very interesting case because Mikhail Bridges got paid, and now you're going to pay Cam, and you want to pay Cam, you want to keep him. It's just what is the value? It is very true, very, very true that Cam Johnson was not involved in trade discussions during the offseason. He wasn't. I mean, I, I had even said to you, what if the Suns could get a deal done, if you, I think you remember me saying this to you, if they can get a deal done for Durant without including Mikhail Bridges or Cam Johnson? And because that's what they were trying to do. They were trying to basically say, look, we'll give you all, you know, once DeAndre Ayton was out of it, we'll give you all of our draft picks and expiring contracts. And that, that's the best we could do. They never wanted to part with Mikhail or Cam. And now you've got to kind of figure out what is Cam's value? What is Cam's worth? And, and 18 million a year, that's a four year, $70 million deal. That sounds pretty good. But it might be a little bit north of that, Bernsey.
1: Yeah, no, oh, I think it needs to be a lot north of that. I saw that number and I cringed. Honestly, I saw that number in the report, and I, and look, I, I'm not involved in these conversations. Even I knew that's not going to get it done. That's not going to get it done. If you're Cam Johnson, you don't say yes to that. As much as you want to say yes to your first money deal, and seventy two million dollars is seventy two million. You are Cam Johnson's agent, man. He's looking at what Tyler Hero got, right? I mean, what did he get? Four years. 130 Yeah, he's not going to get that. No, he's not going to get that, but you if you're Cam Johnson's agent, you don't settle for 72 when a guy that you could Jeremy Grant least. got
2: 20 a year.
1: Yeah. Jeremy Grant got 20 um, million dollars a year. Uh, Terry Rozier got nearly 20 million, nearly 25 million dollars a year. I yep. think he got a 4 year 96 million dollar deal. I, I I mean, so that's not going to get it done. Now, uh, look, I get it. Suns are in a tough spot with the luxury tax, but this is this is the price. This is the cost. This is this is the when you draft well and you have success with those guys and they become key parts of your rotation, which is what every team wants, this is the cost to keep the band together. Now, I do wonder if part of the holdup in all of this is they're kind of without an owner right now. You know, Robert Sarver can't have anything to do with this decision. Sam Garvin is the acting owner right now. Who knows how much authority he has to actually spend. $72 billion. but business
2: has to go on. Like, somebody has to make these decisions. You can't be like, business grinds to a halt. But
1: I just don't know who that person is, and neither do you. I I don't know who's in charge of authorizing a $100 million, if that's what it is, to Cam Johnson. Who's in charge of saying yes to that? Does Sam Garvin have that authority? He has to. He has to. He should, but he's spending somebody else's money. If you were buying the Phoenix Suns, wouldn't you want to know? How $100 million of your money was being spent? Because it ain't Sam Garvin's money. And it ain't Robert Sarver's money that's being spent. It's your what is
2: money. That gonna, okay, for a franchise that's going to be bought for $3 billion, are they really concerned about whether Cam Johnson gets $18 million or $22 million a year? I don't know. I, I, a lot I'm of it, about I, a 4 I, or $5 million difference per year? I think a lot of it, it shouldn't.
1: I think a lot of it just depends on who buys them. I, 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 I think... I don't know. I'm not in the know about this. I think it's going to be some multi-multi-multi billionaire who's right. guy who's
2: going to great the bet, yeah, which is fantastic. fantastic. Fine, go into the luxury tax. Go deep. Be a Steve Ballmer. Be a Joe Lake. Go, oh my go, God! Can you imagine that? Can you even imagine for a second yeah. that somebody that rich buys the team and says, "Yeah, I don't care for a hundred million dollars over the luxury over the tax. I'll pay it."
1: I get all. Goosey inside, oh, about it. right? I get, all, I get all ooh, just thinking about. Well, you about can something sign that like guy, that.
2: but you're going to be over the luxury tax. I don't care. But the, <laughs> I know, de- I don't the care.
1: deadline is October seventeenth. And look, we've been down this road before. We went down this road with Aiton, and the fear is, you get to next year. And at that point, Cam Johnson, qualifying offer. Yeah. I mean, we, we do the same Cap-old dance that we did. 17, with 18 million. DeAndre Ayton. And we go through that business right there. And, and, and I just I'd love to get him. But I, I it's, it's a tough situation all around. The timing stinks. Absolutely stinks. Because the of the ownership? ownership? Yeah, because of the ownership transition. It just puts them in a position where I'm not even sure who's in charge of that at this point. But it needs to get done. I mean, if you, if let's put it this way. If you were willing to tell the Brooklyn Nets or anybody during the offseason, you can't have him. He's that valuable to us. You've got to pay him more than four years and 72 million because that ain't going to cut it. Not with the rising cost of doing business in today's NBA. Yeah. I get it. He's not worth more than Mikkel Bridges. You don't think so? I don't think so either. But at the end of the day, the market dictates what these players are worth. And I guarantee you, there is somebody out there who will give Cam Johnson more than what Mikel Bridges got from the Suns. And that's the only thing that matters in this equation. Oh,
2: somebody might pay him $25 million a year. They might. They might. Somebody might say, you know what, four years? Because, listen, he's a terrific offensive player. Okay, he's a really good shooter. He's a terrific offensive player. Not a great rebounder. He's a decent defensive player because, again, he tries. Uh, But his ability to shoot the basketball gets guys paid.
1: Big time. You can text us your thoughts. The FanDuel text line's open for you right now at 620-620 here on the Burns and Gambo Show when we come back. Seattle Seahawks, Seahawks offense, great. Defense? Ugh, that's next. Burns and Gambo.
0: Burns and Gambo. Afternoons 2 till 6 on Arizona Sports.
1: The shame of it is, as we welcome you back to the Burns and Gambo show, is that this is just the worst week in the world for the Cardinals running back room to be trashed. Because it's Seattle's defense basically has a big neon arrow Pointing to it, saying, "Run here, huh. run here, run be, the guy, let's, be, what's be, the guy with the bulls? The, the Matador. The Matador. Yeah, right here, here it is. Here we're we gonna, go.
2: We're gonna part that. We're gonna part the seas for you. Yeah, I mean, we had
1: Michael Sean Dugar on earlier. He covers the Seahawks for the Athletic. He's like, man, they're just getting mauled at the point of attack. Those, that Seattle defensive line just getting absolutely manhandled. And the shame of it is, James Conner, no idea if he's gonna play. Daryl Williams being reported, he's not gonna play it doesn't sound very good two running backs added to the practice squad uh kyla murray doesn't like to run a lot early in these games he does it more late you gotta be looking I, your chops against this defense i mean you would through some of the numbers be early in your
2: chops new orleans 48 carries for 235 yards <laughs> atlanta 31 for 179 detroit 25 for 145 san francisco ran it 45 times for 189 yards they are giving up 170 yards on the ground Per average. That's their average per game. 170 yards. They can't stop the run. There's nothing they could do. They saw Bruce Irving to practice goal What the hell is that going to do? <laughs> they can't stop the run. I mean, five games in, I mean, it's, this is who they are. Like, I don't know that it's going to get that I don't. I don't think we're all of a sudden, wow, they, they held the Cardinals to 70 yards rushing. No, yeah. I mean, the Cardinals have to run the ball against this team because that's what the game plan should dictate. You're Cliff Kingsbury. You're looking at film five games in a row. What do you come out with? They can't stop the run. So what should your game plan be? Heavy run. Yeah. I know, but what if they do? What if this is
1: the one game Seattle has success, right? This is, the, this is the game where you should go up there and get right with your running game and get right with your offense. What if you can't if you're the Cardinals? Now... You know, judging them without D-Hop is a real risky proposition. And, and who knows? The entire equation could change a week from tomorrow night when they host the New Orleans Saints and DeAndre Hopkins is is coming back. And I sent you some of the videos. He's on TikTok. He's counting down the days till he's back. He's working out. He's out there. He's got, you know, some trainer, like, holding him back with some resistance bands and he's running
2: against that. I always hated those. <laughs> I hate those bands. Because uh, you got some guys, like, 250 pounds holding you. Like, dude, I, like, I, you got to let go a little bit. Yeah. No, he's
1: he's trying to in this offense. Everything we think about this offense, it could all change in a New York minute. The second DeAndre Hopkins comes back, but until then, you've got to make do with what you've got. And the scary scenario is, is that you go up there against that trash defense in Seattle, and you can't make it work against them. And then at that point, you just kind of look at Cliff and Kyler like, I mean, seriously, guys, them, you know, you you, you couldn't get it going against that defense is off. I mean, Taysom Hill destroyed them. Think about. Some of the games Seattle defense has played against teams that have been missing key guys. guys. Backup quarterback for New Orleans. They're missing Michael Thomas. Uh, The Lions are missing their best running back and their best wide receiver. It didn't matter. It didn't matter. They still just pounded Seattle and put up all kinds of yards and all kinds of points and did all that stuff. It's a recipe for success. Let's just see if the Cardinals are poised to take advantage of it or not. Well,
2: they have to be. I mean, they, they, they just have to be. But, you know, Seattle's, you know, they lose Rashad Penny. I mean, that's a big loss for them. He's their, their main running back. He's out. So that'll put some pressure on their offense. But listen, if you're looking at Geno Smith, you're saying, damn, this guy's playing out of his mind. You know, what you want to do is you want to keep the ball out of his hands too. So, you know, I know Cliff likes to play fast and everything. There's times for that. But right now you got to be looking at that game plan and saying, hey, they can't stop anybody. Like, they just, they, Corey Clement should be able to come off the practice squad and rush for 85 yards on on, on 15 carries against them. <laughs> just can't stop anybody. Long drives, you wear their defense out. That's why their defense is complaining, right? We can't get off the field. We can't. You, you have a 10, 11, 12 play drive. You have three, four of those in a in a half. And the defense is gassed. They're gassed. They just, that's why they said we can't get off the field. No, you can't get off the field because you're too tired to make a play. And
1: that's why I can't imagine what it's like being a Seahawks fan right now. And, and here's what I mean by that. I read the story today in the the Tacoma News Tribune and they quoted safety Ryan Neal And Ryan Neal went into this big, long diatribe about how, man, the history here in Seattle, we're failing that history. You know, quote, this organization built itself on defense. We've had examples in the past with the Legion of Boom and the OGs and all those guys. Guys like Cam Chancellor and Richard Sherman and Earl Thomas and Bobby Wagner and K.J. Wright, Michael Bennett, right? Cliff Averill. And and, and he's acknowledging there's like this embarrassment of this is, but that's what I mean what's so weird is like, from our perspective, and we're, you know... 2,000 miles away or whatever it is, we think of Seattle, we think of the Legion of Boom, we think of the defense, we think of a team that wins games not because necessarily of their quarterback, because of a defense and because of a run game. Can you imagine if you're in Seattle and you're looking at this trash defense and yet on the flip side, you've got a quarterback in Geno Smith who's the talk of the league right now with how he's playing. Everybody's talking about him and blown away at what he's been able to do. What a we like I look at Seattle, Campbell, yeah, honestly, I think this might be the weirdest Seattle matchup in the history of the Cardinal Seahawks matchups I, I don't remember them ever being this confused about their identity and who they are this is this is not Seattle football like we know it at all no as Cardinal I, fans down but I here. think
2: we know exactly what their identity is their identity is they can't stop anything you could talk about the run all day long but like how about the explosive plays they've given up seven explosive pay, plays passes of 16 plus yards uh you know in the air or runs of 12-plus in that game. Like, they are just... And that was the New Orleans game. They Like, they'll give that to you. So, like, you're right. I mean... They had to face a backup quarterback in New Orleans. They they didn't have Michael Thomas and Jarvis Landry and Olave was out early in the third quarter, so you didn't have to see him. So they've had to play these teams that have been decimated by injuries, and it doesn't matter. Yeah. It doesn't. So that's why you look at the Cardinals. There's no excuse here. Cardinals are injured at running back. It doesn't matter. These other teams have all been injured and they still were able to gash Seattle's defense. It's just no good. It's not a good defense. And you know, you talk about Quentin Jefferson and we can't get off the field. We keep having these penalties, extending drives. Yeah, you wear the them out and they're they're done. I mean, you wear that. you could wear them out with the first 3 4 drives of the game and just get them so damn tired and not believing in their ability, but it's up to the Cardinals not to, you know, because if you if you let them and if 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 this is a closer game, it gives them a lot of life. Like it does. It gives sure. them a lot of life to believe that they can win and a Gino can make some plays and I'll be able to pull it out. If, you don't want to do that. If this
1: is a game where you don't have offensive success early against that defense, I mean, the mental side of it starts to kick in, right? And I know professional athletes are the most confident among us. And I think football players especially, man, they walk around just thinking they're all that. But I got to imagine if this offense starts slow against that defense in Seattle, in their heads, they'll be like, oh, God, if we can't do it here, if we can't do it now. How do you oh, start
2: slow? They got no pass rush. I know, I, I, I know, I know but,
1: what, but I'm just saying, what if they do? I mean, it's not mm. impossible to say they won't. Right? No, the trend
2: has been it, that they do. It's it's. But you've got it, a tailor-made opponent right so here. So in my mind,
1: I'm thinking about okay, if it happens, mm-hmm. I don't think it will. But if it happens, can you imagine the mind
2: games that's going to play with Kyler Murray and Cliff Kingsbury if they're looking yeah. around
1: like, how can we not do it against these?
2: This guys? is like Mike Tyson's punch out, and your your first opponent is is, is Glass George Joe or whatever his name. Glass was. Joe was in a glass? glass. Glass Joe Joe, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Who somehow had one win? I don't know how he had one win. But he did. He had one win on his record. You go look up Glass Joe. He had one win. That's your opponent. Like, you have to knock your opponent out. I always struggle to beat him. You struggled to beat Glass Joe?
1: (laughs) A little. I was never good at that game. I could never get very far in that game at all. I couldn't one bit. When we come back here on Burns and Gambo, Kyler Murray knows the importance of a good relationship with his head coach. He was asked today about his relationship with his current head coach and how good it is. You'll hear what he had to say next. Burns and Gambo. Burns
0: and Gambo. Afternoons, two till
3: six on Arizona Sports. No, I just I mean I'm competitive. He's competitive. Uh, I, I don't think it's you know, you know I wouldn't say it's tough to deal with. Uh, I just think you know I'm trying to get right, trying to win. Um, you know that's that's the ultimate goal out there is just trying to win. Uh, however, we can make that happen. However, we can get it done. You know, I tell him what what I saw or why I did what I did. Uh, we're obviously going to disagree at times. Everybody does. But at the end of the day, we understand, you know, we're, we're both just trying to win. We're both competitive. This is Kyler Murray today
1: meeting with the media as he does every single Wednesday. We bring you that sound here on the Burns and Gambo show so you can hear directly from the Cardinals quarterback on what he had to say. The question was about the competitiveness of him and Cliff. Because let's be honest, if we're you know, we talking about how the Cardinals are going to figure this out offensively in these slow starts and and really an offense that has been troubling them almost all season long, right? I mean, there have been, yeah, they played better in their last five drives against the Eagles, and yeah, they played better in the second half against the Panthers and in the fourth quarter against the Raiders, but by and large, for the most part, this offense has really, really struggled so far this season, and and the slow starts define that, but it doesn't tell the whole story. If anyone's in charge of figuring it out, at the end of the day, it's Cliff
2: Kingsbury and Kyla Murray, and they're kind of union together to figure out a way to, Get them out of this. I think it does define them in some ways, right? I mean, if I said to you, "What's the one? What's one defining thing about the Cardinals this season?" I think you would say the slow starts. They're probably the slow starts.
1: I think it does define because them. it's it's just so you go into every game now, and I don't know about you, I anticipate a slow start. It's, it's almost like I expect it now, right? Like on on Sunday, I was there against the Eagles. Yeah. I expected them to start slow. You're looking I, at
2: that first quarter, and you would be like, they're not going to get the ball back. Oh, my God, they're actually going to go another quarter without scoring a point. I boy. think I
1: turned to our Cardinals beat writer for the website, Tyler Drake, and I think I said that with about two and a half minutes left. They're not like, going to get the it. ball back. They're not going to get the ball back. That's it. It's it's <laughs> an, another zero in the first one unless something extraordinary happens. Yeah. They're not going to get the when ball you back get in inside, the
2: first quarter. It, boy, that's true. It's so true. When you get inside of five minutes in the first quarter and haven't scored, you start to think like, oh, my God. They're not going to get, they're not going to get a point Which here. Which
1: then makes you wonder, are they thinking about it? Is that going through Kyler's So Like, oh my God, God we're not going to do it again. You, you know, would, you would hope
2: not. I think when the quarter ends, you're like, oh God, we just didn't score a point again. And I, but it does define them. I mean, I really do think that that's, you know, that that's what defines the Arizona Cardinals. They, they are the only team in the NFL, I think, that hasn't scored a point in the first quarter of a football game. Not even a field goal. Nothing. Safety, nothing. nothing. They've got nothing.
1: No. And then that, that comment that Cliff made earlier when we were playing some sound bites from him about, you know, all these minutes of football they've played, they've only had the lead for like 10 minutes so far this season. That's it. I mean, it's, 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 it's almost a miracle that they're 2-3 and three under those circumstances. I mean, when you think about it, everything oh, they could so, easily be one and four oh, with e- that Raiders e- game. They were down and out in that game. They easily. made it a miraculous comeback. I mean, it's a miracle they're two and three when you consider they've only led these games for about 10 minutes so far this season. I, it's it's, it's, Listen, a, negative, mir- it's they- a miracle they were in a position to beat Philadelphia. In a game, yeah. I mean, think about it, if they had beat Philly, it would have been one of those games where they didn't, like the Raiders game, where they didn't have the lead at all during regulation. If Amendola hits the field goal, it sends it in overtime, and they tie it, and they play in overtime, It would have, they probably wouldn't have had the lead in that game until they won the game at the very end, just like the Raiders but game. But you put yourself in these
2: holes, down 14 nothing, and we're all just wondering how they going to play if they play with a lead. How are they going to play? How good can they be if they can jump up by two scores on somebody and play the type? Because that's, that's what they're built to do. They're built to score points and get ahead and, and beat teams that way. Mark Kyler, he was asked the kind of inevitable question,
1: how close is this offense to hitting some kind of stride here?
3: Um, I, th- I thought last game was one of our better games, um, if not our best, as far as you know the continuity and just the way it felt out there. Um, you know, I-, I, would say, I would say the same. You know, obviously, uh, talking about it doesn't really matter. We got to go out there and prove it. Got to go out there and execute on Sunday. Um, but I think we can build on, you know, how, how we felt and, and what we were, um, what we were doing out there. Cause like I said, we ran the ball well, uh, moved the ball well in, in spurts at times. Um, and I, I think, like I said, I think last game was probably our best overall together. I don't know if I disagree with that.
2: That that was their best overall. Their, their last five drives
1: were really good. I mean, they had 300 yards of offense in their last five yeah. drives of the game. Now, yeah. is that is that just a too small of a sample size? Probably it's the slow start. I mean, there's still all of that same stuff that's kind of factored into that equation. But I do think in terms of, and I think it was Schlereth I was listening to on the morning show today, Mark Schlereth, who said that that was... It was the first time I watched them this year, this is what he was saying, where you felt like, okay, that's sustainable. That's that's not just Kyler running around, creating chaos, making a bunch of plays.
2: That's who they can be, those last five drives in terms of moving the ball and scoring some points. Listen, Kansas City, I think, is on a different level. Um, But you take every other game out. Philadelphia is all that in a bag of chips, and you almost beat Philadelphia at home. I mean, you almost beat them. Kid kicks the field goal, you go to overtime, you may win the game. Like, even down 14 nothing. Like, I think it just goes to show you that, like, it is – there's only so much time in a football game. And when you give away the first quarter and you get behind and you got a trail, you're, you're doing yourself no favors because if you are good enough, if you, if you could come out of the gates and play like that early on, you might win a whole bunch of games. I mean, this could be a team that was, that was capable of 10 or 11 wins, but, uh, they, they're just a very inconsistent team and we just can't figure them out and they can't figure it out. And I know everybody's just pointed DeAndre Hopkins is going to come back and all, everything's going to be right. Okay. I mean, all right. We'll see. We'll see. I'm hoping so, but. You know, win this game, you get the 3-3, and everybody's going to say the same thing. Okay, they're fine. They're fine. But But then you you are got to be relying on Hopkins to save the day. And
1: in the short term, that's fine. In the short term, at this point, whatever whatever it takes, man, fine in the short term. The long term, that's not a real great plan either because it's not like you're going to have peak DeAndre Hopkins forever either, Right. At some point, there's going to be a world where DeAndre Hopkins is not a part of the Arizona Cardinals or peak DeAndre Hopkins. So you better you better figure out a way to win some football games and have some offense without him, right? Because at some point, you've had a long time to figure that out and you really and haven't you failed miserably. With I mean just and which is why I'm glad you led me into this because Kyler was asked today if he's got a calendar with a date circled for when DeAndre Hopkins is
3: back internally obviously I mean everybody you know (laughs) can't wait to have Hop back but right now I'm focused on the guys that are out there I mean uh, got the utmost confidence like I said every week and everybody that touches the field Um, but when we get him back I mean I know he'll be ready to go you know and the guys will be excited
1: to have him back and hearing that answer I'm telling you we've heard from Cliff on this we've heard from Steve Kymon. On this on our show and now we've heard from Kyler on this part of me wonders if you know how we've been saying all off season long man You just got to survive those six games without D hop you just got to survive do you think it sounds like they felt the same way they're thinking you the think same way play
2: into that I don't
1: I don't I, I think would, you can. I would hope not, but if that's in the back of your mind, like, okay, all we got to do is survive. Just survive these six games, then we'll get DeAndre Hopkins back, then maybe it almost becomes like a self-fulfilling prophecy kind of thing, where you, you think you're not going to play great until you get DeAndre Hopkins back? You're probably not going to play great until you get DeAndre Hopkins back, because you're expecting to not play great until you get DeAndre Hopkins. I just want... It, it, we're hearing them all verbalize this, you know, here's Kyler.
2: Yeah. Kind of in the back of my mind. I have had the date circled when One he's going to come from back. Tomorrow. Yeah. One week from tomorrow. If they go out there and score 20 points against New Orleans in the first quarter, we're just going to throw i I'll be at that game in the press box. we we'll just throw everything up in the air. Like, all right, just <laughs> right. They go out there in that first quarter. They put 50, they put 20 up on New Orleans, but It's possible. It's
1: possible. Yeah, I, I can't. I can't sit here and say with any certainty that it
2: won't happen. It's possible. That's exactly uh, what happened. I happens. mean, he's the uh, that the, he's he's uh, what was the what was the Snoopy cow Linus with the blanket? Yes. I mean, he's the blanket. DeAndre the Hopkins was he's the blanket. Like it is. A, there's a comfort level. I I'm comfortable throwing the ball to him. I'm comfortable. And if he comes back and the, the same. You know, oh. problems persist. No. Then no. you know, then then the
1: season's over. That's the doomsday. Then the season's over. That's the doomsday. Yeah, it's done. That's the that's the DefCon one. Okay. okay, forget it. Yeah. If they if he comes back and they still can't score in the first quarter, or they're still struggling to move the ball, that you, we we've been talking for a couple of days about Cliff Kingsbury hot seats. If you can't figure out an offense when DeAndre Hopkins comes back and it continues to struggle, that seat's going to get real, real warm. I don't care how much money he's owed. That seat's going to get hot
2: for Cliff if that offense can't perform when they get DeHop back. Look, they're lucky. They played two brain dead football teams so far this year in the Raiders in Carolina. I mean, honestly, they're lucky. Yeah. Because those two teams are garbage. Yes, one's fired their coach, and the other,
1: based off of how he mismanaged that game against the Chiefs, brain dead probably teams. should be fi- not fired, but
2: you know what I'm saying? Yes, no, I mean, you two got lucky. Yeah. Teams, two
1: teams that just are a mess, a total mess, An
2: absolute mess right yeah. now. I mean, it's and that you know that's your two wins, and now you're playing a Seattle team with the, one of the worst defenses we've seen in a long time, like a historically bad defense. You got, I mean, that's why like you have to go win that football game. Just announced
1: dead and Company will be heading to Auction Pavilion on May 23rd for their last tour. Tickets go on sale this Friday at 10 a.m. You can win a pair now by visiting ArizonaSports.com. The Arizona Coyotes are just a day away from the start of their unique season. What can fans expect when they eventually get to play at home? We'll ask the President and CEO of the Coyotes, Javier Gutierrez. He'll join us next. Burns and Gambo. Burns
0: and Gambo. Afternoon Two till six on the Arizona Sports app.
1: The NHL season began last night
2: with two games on the dockets. Oh, that, that, that the Kings-Vegas game. That was a great game. It was. Bill Kessel playing for Vegas now. That was a great
1: game. Coyotes open up tomorrow night against Pittsburgh, starting with a six-game road trip before their home opener against Winnipeg at their new temporary home at Mullet Arena. And, of course, a lot of questions about that, a lot of questions about the start of the season. Away we go. And joining us right now on the Arizona Sports Line, the Coyotes' president and CEO, Javier Gutierrez, who joins us here on the Burns and Gambo Show. Javier, welcome back. Hope this phone call finds you well.
0: Absolutely. Hey, guys, it's always great to talk to you. Excited to uh, be talking to you more often and uh, definitely excited about the start of this NHL season and what will absolutely be a phenomenal experience at uh, Muller Arena on the campus at ASU. So we're, we're fired up.
2: We are going to be down there for the home opener against Winnipeg. I can't wait to see the arena and uh, that'll be exciting and and stay for the game. But you guys are going to play 20 of your first 24 games on the road. That is, that's brutal, but I guess it had to be that way. Tell us why and, and how long this has been in the works to play all those games on the road, to give the arena more time to be ready.
0: Yeah, well, you know, uh, we are not only uh, playing in a brand new arena, but as you know, we're building out an annex uh, for locker rooms, medical space, and all the sort of space that you need for the NHL personnel that come in as part of an NHL game. We also had to upgrade the, uh, the actual mullet arena uh, for broadcasting, and uh, just to bring it up to NHL standards. And so we knew uh, that there was a possibility very early on when we were talking with a ASU about this move that we would have to start on the road to ensure that the facility was uh, was ready. Uh, we did want to have games, however, even if the annex was not going to be uh, ready for the start of the season. Um, and so we did work with both ASU, uh, their manager, Oakview Group of the facility, as well as the league office to try to accommodate. And you are right. It uh, it, it certainly is not the ideal start, but, uh, but we have been talking about it. And, uh, you know, Coach Bear and and Bill Armstrong have been uh, preparing with the players uh, for this, uh, dealing with, uh, you know, our, our mental uh, performance coaches and, and just getting ready uh, for uh, taking one game at a time uh, and, and really doing this together as one team.
1: How much of the work that needs to be completed remains to be completed? Is, is everything basically done or are you going to use the time between now and the 28th to to continue to tie down some loose ends and tighten up some loose screws around the place?
0: Well, M- Mullet Arena is ready. It's good to go. In fact, I'm going to a scrimmage tonight. Uh, for ASU men's hockey, and I believe actually there's going to be an ASU women's hockey versus GCU women's, uh, both of which are club teams. So uh, the arena itself is good to go. It's really the annex that, uh, you know, again, tipping my hat to Alex Morello and putting in over $23 million to build from scratch. Um, that's what is uh, still under construction. It will be ready. Uh, by the time we have uh, not only the, this initial uh, four-game homestand, but when we come back for December ninth against the uh, Boston Bruins, the annex will be prepared. Um, and so, really, that was uh, that's the only thing that's left outstanding. But but Mullet Arena, looks fantastic. It's amazing. Uh, the plaza around it is going to be activated. I know that uh, there's going to be a big uh, ribbon cutting on Friday before ASU men's hockey plays against uh, Colgate, and so it's. Uh, uh, it's good to go, and I'm telling you right now, you guys are going to be blown away when you walk in about how nice it
2: is. I can't, yeah, I can't wait to see the atmosphere and that, that. You know, I think it's going to be very similar to what I've seen at GCU at their basketball games. But I do want to tell you, my friend, I want to do want to tell you that I, I, I did with my old hockey team, I did play a game against the Lady She Devils once upon a time.
0: I did play against the <laughs> ASU know, women's team. Is this what I'm going to hear all season? I'm about, just telling you. Know, you Gambo's uh, hockey. Uh, I, it's, yes, it's Javier,
1: yes, this is what you're going to hear all season. So prepare yourself. <laughs> I, Steady yourself for yes. it because you're going to get a slow I, drip, drip, I, drip on your forehead of this all season
2: long. I had the Gordie Howe hat trick oh against God. the ASU She Devils as well. Oh God. I had a goal,
0: and assist, and a fight. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Oh, Well, there you go. Yes. There you go. I, I I know you didn't win, though. I didn't win so. the fight. No. Yeah. <laughs> no.
2: no sure all right. Not. Let's uh, let let's just let, let's talk about the season. Uh, you know, rebuilding, developing. Gunther makes the team. I'm excited about that. Uh, you've got all these draft picks going forward. You've got all this young talent in the organization. How do you? What would you consider a success for this season?
0: Well, success uh, is really the continuation of uh, the creation of the culture right and uh we just had an event yesterday for the Canadian Arizona Business Council and we talked a lot about the culture that we're build- building here which is uh competitiveness fight grit uh resilience and so it's it's yet another step and refashioning uh, the culture of, uh, of our hockey club, uh, especially the, with such young players that uh, we know are going to be the foundation of sustained success. So that's the first thing. The second is you do have uh, some of these young leaders, right, the Nick Schmaltz, the Clayton Kellers, the Lawson Crouses, uh, that, are, that are here and have been uh, witness to leadership from especially last year, the veterans that we had. And so seeing them in their next step and maturation as leaders on the ice is also something we're looking for. And then finally, you know, uh, the infusion of this incredible young talent that we know still has... To mature, uh, but that we know will be the foundation of sustained success. So you mentioned Dylan Gunther, uh, the ninth overall pick two years ago, uh, Matthias Micheli, you know, J.J. Moser, uh, really young, talented players uh, that we know will be the foundation going forward. And we, of course, had an amazing draft uh, this past year and we anticipate, um, you know, certainly Logan Cooley after his college season to be part of what we're doing and, and clearly Josh Stone after uh, the ASU season to potentially be part of the squad.
2: Any, any feelings on the exhibition games? You guys played seven games. You did not win one. You went 0-6-1. Did you see any good signs coming out of that?
0: Absolutely. I mean, we, we again, wanted to see various lineups. A lot of young players, we wanted to take a look at that. You know, one of the things that we talked about with uh, Bill Armstrong when we came out with this strategy was, one, acquiring the draft picks, two, Selecting good players and three developing them, and part of that development happens in that preseason when you give them, you know, uh, time on the ice uh, to see how they will do uh, against, you know, an NHL talent and see who can who can stay up or who needs some more uh, developing. So we we felt very good about the, the competitiveness of our team. Obviously, uh, you want to you want to win. You want to score some more goals. You want to have more. Uh, offensive efficiency, uh, but we felt pretty good again about what we're trying to accomplish. Let
2: me get let me get your feelings on the ticket price. You guys have had to raise the ticket quite uh, prices quite a bit from where you are in Glendale, and I think most people understand that. You know, considering everything's like a lower bowl ticket. Are tickets available for fans to see games? If a fan just wants to go to a game, and you know, in December, can he purchase a ticket? And what's your thoughts on where you are? Uh, average ticket price with the rest of the league right now.
0: Well, I think it started with what you said there, Gamble, which is it's the lower half of a lower bowl for an NHL game uh, in a brand-new facility, and so for us – this was an opportunity to give uh, not only this incredible fan base that has supported this team for going on 27 years uh, an opportunity uh, to to witness this game, but also try as much as possible to give opportunities for new fans, the fans in waiting, as you've heard me say over and over again. So the short answer is yes, there are uh, tickets available. We always wanted to have three to four hundred tickets available for single game. Our intent all along was to have have, you know, about 400 tickets for students, which we have done incredibly well working in partnership with ASU to really invite uh, the youthful exuberance to be part of the experience, uh, but also to have really a lot of young people who probably never been to a hockey game uh, to experience it on their own campus. So that that was always an intent. We did uh, wanted to, you know, make sure that our longtime uh, season ticket members, you know, those that had the longest tenure that had most recently been part of the season ticket member, uh, you know, base to be a part of it. But, but we always assumed that uh, we wanted to make sure that if someone wanted to have those tickets, they could, as far as ticket price, I do, I do want to say a couple of things that, you know, again, these are premium seats and what you had in our previous uh, home was really a lower quarter uh, of the NHL ticket price. You know, the average ticket price at Gila river arena was, was in the fifties when the average ticket, price in the nhl uh is 150 you know for for similar seats that you're now paying uh, 170 uh, bucks for those are about 165 dollars on average across the nhl we have center ice seats here that are cheaper than what you would see actually in minnesota in anaheim in vegas and so we try to put this in the proper context. You will be the closest that you will ever be to NHL hockey because there's only 13 rows. So every seat is a premium seat, and every seat is priced accordingly.
1: Javier, we truly wish you the best of luck this season with everything. We are very much looking forward to doing our show out there for your home opener on the 28th. Looking forward to seeing it in person. Thank you for your time. Best of luck. We'll talk soon.
0: Thanks so much, guys, and go Yotes.
1: Javier Gutierrez joining us here on the Arizona Sports Line on the Burns and Gambo Show. When we come back, so many stories we haven't even gotten to, and we know you need to know about them. So we'll run through them all. The 4 o'clock reset is next on the Burns and Gambo Show.